This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, September 23rd. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Mountain Village pushes pause on Norwood Housing Project, a day in the life of a miner with Fintan Cole, a loveless listening club, and a mountain weather forecast. But first, on Friday, Norwood lifted its boil order for the Norwood Water Commission service area. The town implemented a boil order earlier this week when a pressure-reducing valve failure resulted in multiple service line breaks. Town officials note water users may resume normal activities and no longer need to boil water before consumption. A potential new housing development in Norwood is in a holding pattern. The land for development is a nearly 40-acre parcel on the south side of Norwood between South Pine Street and County Road 42ZS. While the land sits in the town of Norwood, the property is owned by the town of Mountain Village. This week, town council met with consultants to discuss the future of the development. Jessica Garrow works with Design Workshop, a consultant on the property. She says over the past months, they've hosted a number of community sessions and stakeholder meetings to discuss what Norwood sees as important elements of the project. Infrastructure, particularly water, was really important and making sure that any development is properly served, um, particularly by that water infrastructure. She says Norwood currently has the capacity to serve 45 taps, meaning around 45 housing units. Um, Some of the other things that we heard um, was just really important to make sure that the parcel is connected to the community, both through road infrastructure, as well as through um, things like trails and and just providing that that connection as a pretty large parcel um, on, on the edge of town. Um, We talked a lot with the fire marshal and public works about their street standards. And so in all of our designs, um, we made sure to meet their requirement of a 60-foot street right-of-way. Garrow adds, in addition to housing, the development could meet other community needs. Maybe there's an opportunity uh, for some space for a new fire station or a new preschool. Those were the two that were identified in the interviews. And then when we went back out to the community, those were also things that resonated with the community in our open house. She says they would anticipate a mix of duplexes, cottage homes, single-family homes, and multifamily units, with a blend of for rent and for sale. All in, just based off of kind of site fit, um, we think that up to 127 units could be um, accommodated on this site, with the caveat that in phase one, we're only showing 44 uh, units. But town council isn't fully sold on moving forward. Council member Dan Caton notes he sees the concept as a positive, but doesn't know if the timing is right. He highlights Mountain Village's other housing projects in Ilium, the Meadows, and at Village Court Apartments. I think it's premature to move forward. I don't know if there are things that we need to do to maybe put this on hold for now, but we've got three other projects ongoing. And I think both from an investment standpoint um, and because Norwood's the farthest one away, which may make it a little less attractive to people in this part of the region. Um, that doesn't mean we can't put it back into shape right away. Mayor Leila Benitez agrees. Without knowing what's happening with the Alexander property or the property in Ilium and what that mix could look like or whether that's going to even go forward, I feel like it's premature to settle on what the mix is here until we understand what we're doing in Ilium and what the potential cost there is. Um, That's kind of where I'm at. 
Town Council was unanimous in its support for the project, but equally unanimous in its decision to put the project on hold for the moment, waiting to see how other town housing projects shake out. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. It's volleyball this week on a day in the life of a minor. In this installment, Telluride High School's Finton Cole brings the latest. Have a listen. This is Finton Cole in your sports update. Girls Varsity Volleyball lost to the Nuclear Mustangs at home by a score of 3 to nothing, lost to the Dolores Bears 3 to 2, and to Nuclear on the road 3 to 2. Guess we'll never know how the Gunnison game turned out. They have road games against the Titans, the Mavericks, and the Blue Jays, and hopefully they can raise their record. Well, that was short, but that was it. I'm Fintan Cole reporting live from Telluride High School, and we'll see you next week. This Monday, the Wilkinson Public Library holds its monthly listening club. It's like a book club, but for albums. Sam Burgess will lead the September club with his work of choice, My Bloody Valentine's Loveless. KOTO News spoke with Burgess about his selection. It's an album that is near and dear to my heart. It's considered or widely considered one of the progenitors of the um, shoegaze subgenre of post-punk. A um, lot of effects, a lot of post-production um, tweakery. Um, they're also known as one of the loudest bands um, on the planet. Um, I've seen them live a couple of times and I can attest to the fact that they do tend to turn it up to 11. It was released in 91, but I didn't hear it until my senior year in high school, which was 1993. Um, I was in my good friend Chris's car, um, and he had it on cassette tape. Um, You know, we may have been a little bit stoned, maybe not. I'm not going to go into that detail. But uh, he popped, he's like, hey, you should check out this band, um, and popped it in. And I just remember driving down, um, you know, uh, Highway uh, 75 in Dallas, Texas, high school senior year um, and I just fell in love with it it was just it just it was candy to my ears and you know how when you listen to like something for the first time it just immediately clicks this was one of those bands that immediately clicked it sounds unlike any other kind of band or music style that I've listened to before there's a lot of different techniques. Um, the guitar player and the founder of the band, Kevin Shields, um, manipulates his tremolo bar on the guitar, um, which just adds to this really weird, out of sync, out of tune sound, which somehow works with all the stuff that they've done post-production. It's a female vocalist who's the, the main vocalist. She sings most of the low parts. Kevin Shields would sing most of the high parts. Um, another interesting to note about this album too, um, and you hear that in a lot of shoegaze, is that the vocals are really low in the mix. So they're, 
lyrical content's not something that you're into if you want to listen to shoegaze or, or dream pop. It's it's mostly about like the atmospheric effect and the overall feeling you get when you listen to it. So it's kind of more of a washy sound with the vocals. I would say it's almost more like an added instrument instead of just like, you know, lyrics. Um, so yeah, it's not about poetry. It's, it's more about overall general atmospherics and, and tone and mood. It shifted the way bands could, could go about, you know, writing music in that instead of uh, a hook, having a song which just has a hook or something that has to have some sort of meaningful lyrical content, you could actually make meaningful music that was just all about the mood and the general vibe of an album. So that's when you had a lot of bands that were really starting to manipulate, you know, different effects, uh, pedals, post-production tricks, um, obviously, you know, in the advent of computers in production during the 90s too. You just started to see, I think, more creativity. Um, My Bloody Valentine to me is one of the bands that actually kind of jump-started that kind of movement. Sam Burgess will lead the September Listening Club on My Bloody Valentine's Loveless on Monday, September 26th from 6 to 7 p.m. at the Telluride Music Company. More information is available at telluridelibrary.org. Visual and operatic art become one in Telluride Arts' latest exhibition, a collaboration with original thinkers Interplay. Art and Opera is an interdisciplinary gallery and performance project by The Bridge Project and soprano and creative producer Leah Podzimek. Visual artists from a number of mediums came together with opera singers earlier this year at the Transfer Warehouse. The program included stories and histories of musical selections, as well as live performances. In the month since, seven local artists went away to create new works of art inspired by the music. Now those works will be curated into a group exhibition at the Telluride Arts HQ Gallery featuring live performances of the music that inspired the art. Interplay Art and Opera will live at the Telluride Arts HQ Gallery from September 27th through October 3rd. The Roaring Divas is a new group of drag queens in the Roaring Fork Valley, popularizing the gender-neutral term Latine, which is spelled with an E at the end, as opposed to Latinex, Latina, or Latino. Hallie Zander has more about the divas and their efforts to spread the word. Neon lights pulse over the stage at the arts campus at Willits, and Ramona Chingona appears on stage wearing a floor-length blue dress and tall black stilettos. Ramona is the drag persona of Brian Alvarez Terrazas, a longtime Roaring Fork Valley local. You know, growing up queer and Latino, of Mexican, you know, culture and heritage, being queer wasn't an identity that I would easily embrace or that I would easily claim. Alvarez Terrazas was born in Glenwood Springs and had a tough time in a family that didn't always accept his queer identity. And I kind of hit this breaking point where I was like, you know what, I'm tired of feeling like I'm not enough, like my identity is something that I should be ashamed of. Um, And so from there I got the idea of 
you know, having the first drag troupe in the valley um, and having shows locally here with local drag queens, all that kind of stuff. Alvarez Terrazas is one of the founding members of the Roaring Divas, a group of four drag queens that perform around the Roaring Fork Valley. This was their second event at Taka this year. But these divas aren't just performers. Over the weekend, the group danced, lip-synced, and educated the audience in honor of Hispanic Heritage Month. The event was called Latine Pride. Latine is a gender-inclusive term for people of Latin American descent. But listeners may be more familiar with the term Latinx. It's unclear exactly where and when Latinx was coined, but it has gained a lot of recognition over the past decade. One of the other drag queens, Zen Fetal, prefers to go by her drag name for this story. She says the terms represent the same thing, but Latine has deeper roots in the Spanish language. Not a lot of people grew up with like formal castellano, which is the root of Spanish. Fetal is referring to the Castilian or Castellano dialect of Spanish that originates from central Spain. Spanish has always had neutral terms. So basically in Spanish, people always say like we gender things, Latina, Latino, but there's Latine right in the middle and there's always been that. She says you can add an E suffix to the end of many gendered words in the Spanish language and neutralize it. Instead of like nosotros, nosotras, it could be nosotres. So if you add an E to pretty much anything, it becomes gender neutral. Some Spanish interpreters say they're seeing this grammar tool used more often, particularly in young and LGBTQ plus populations. Alvarez Terrazas adds that for him, choosing the term Latine also has to do with flow. It doesn't sound like as much as like a hard stop um, as the X does. And so I think that that was part of the appeal for myself, at least. You know, it's still, you know, sort of names folks that are non-binary, such as myself, um, within the Latino, Latina community. Zen Fatal adds that Latine addresses some criticisms she's heard about the term Latinx. Because what I found is there's a lot of pushback to Latinx. There's a lot of people that say like, oh, why are we inventing new things? Whether it's older generations or people that, you know, want to get into linguistics, whatever it is. But they cannot fight Latine. They can, they can argue against Latinx. They can say, stop making up terms. But they can't fight Latine because that has always existed. That has existed as long as Latina and Latino. So while it doesn't replace the term, it is another option. Zen Fetal took the time in between sets to talk about this term on stage. Latine pride. In a conversation after the event, Alvarez Terrazas says he prefers Latine, but it's really a personal decision. Ultimately, it's it comes down to the person of how you identify yourself and what term you think best you know summarizes you and that you identify with. So while linguistics was somewhat of a theme for this particular event, Alvarez Terrazas says he hopes all of the Roaring Fork Divas events can be educational and get all kinds of conversations started. Drag has forced my family and I to have different conversations and forcing us to, um, especially for like older generations, to really rethink what gender expectations are, what gender roles are, how someone can dress, how somebody should talk, how somebody should look, all that kind of stuff. And so it, it really pushes us to think outside of what the norm is. Hallie Zander, Aspen Public Radio News.
Colorado is bringing in less money than state officials originally predicted. An updated revenue forecast was presented to the legislature's Joint Budget Committee on Thursday. It's about $120 million short of an initial forecast from March. The difference won't affect the state's overall budget in the short term, but officials warned about potential impacts if there's an economic recession. Lauren Larson is with the Office of State Planning and Budgeting. This risk does not go unnoticed that a, um, that a, a downturn could put us in a very different budget position. At the same time, spending on tax refunds for Coloradans has been lower than expected. The largest increases in state spending compared to last year are in health care and education. The federal government is announcing new steps to address the drought crisis along the Colorado River. As KUNC's Alex Hager reports, they plan to use money from the Inflation Reduction Act to temporarily buy water from farmers. The U.S. Bureau of Reclamation says it's preparing to dole out $4 billion from the spending package. Sources close to the matter told KUNC that the bulk of that money will go to the Colorado River Basin, including a program where farmers and ranchers will get $300 to $400 per acre foot of water if they agree to scale back their use. Other money will go towards relining canals and removing water-intensive grass in cities and suburbs. These programs come after states failed to meet a conservation deadline this summer, and the feds threatened to carry out their own water conservation plans once that deadline passed. Federal officials will also consider further cuts to the water released from the basin's reservoirs. I'm Alex Hager. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 40 degrees. Saturday should be sunny during the day and clear at night with a high in the mid-60s and a low around 40. Sunday, expect sunny skies with a high around 65 degrees. Sunday night calls for mostly clear skies with a low around 45. This has been the news for Friday, September 23rd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.